0: Hey, good morning, Authentic Life Church. Thank you for gathering with us today, and thank you to those who are listening in or watching as a guest for the first time, or maybe you're a repeat guest. We're glad that you're here with us. We're grateful uh, that you took the time to be with us this morning. Hey guys, our leaders have been praying for you, uh, praying for those affected by the virus in many different ways, whether it's health-wise or financially or emotionally, but we've just been praying for you and just praying for an end to this virus uh, itself. Uh, we're looking forward to gathering together in person. We're longing for that, uh, and we will do that when the time is right. Um, And we have been meeting and we'll continue to pray and meet as we talk about when is it safe and and responsible to gather in person again. And we'll keep you guys informed on all of that. Uh, As was mentioned earlier uh, by Emily, just take a minute to jump on our website and let us know uh, that you are with us today. Let us know how we can pray for you, how we can connect with you. And then also on that front page, you'll find buttons for uh, the sermon notes so you can follow along in the message. And then you will also find the link to online giving for your tithes and offerings. Uh, As a church, guys, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians uh, we took a break along the way as we focused on Easter, and then as the pandemic hit, we focused on seeing God and knowing who God is through this pandemic. But Ephesians, as we have dove, dove back into this book, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing book in the New Testament, an amazing letter, and God used a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, to write this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, but also for us today. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where we've left off, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter four, and if you remember from last week, Ephesians is mainly broken out into two different sections. You get the first three chapters that are really broken out into who we are in Christ and our identity in christ and we're going to we 're going to uh, recap that a bit for us today because it 's important for what we cover today. Um, But chapters one through and three really focus on who we are because of Christ, our identity in Christ. And then chapters four through six, which is where we begin today, really focuses on how do we live that out as followers of Jesus. So who are we, right? And, and how do we live that out? And that's where we're going to be this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 6. And so if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, hope you have your Bible uh, with you today or your device, and uh, open that up to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. And please know this, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to send one to you. We'd love to, that just just be our free gift to you. And so let us know that, just go to that connection card online and let us know, or just um, comment on that page right there to let us know, but we'd love to have that for you. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins by using the word therefore. And this word is a a transition word in the Greek language. And, And what Paul is doing is Paul is connecting two different things. He's connecting the first half of the letter to the second half of the letter. The first three chapters to the last three chapters. And so when he says therefore, here's what he's saying. Based off of what I've just shared with you, based off of what we've just learned in the first three chapters... This is how we should live that out. And there's that connection word there in the middle of therefore. And so just so we're ready for Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, let's recap a bit before we dive in and see what God's word has been teaching us. Uh, If you're listening today and watching online you're just saying, man, uh, this might seem repetitive, we've been talking about this, I just want to encourage you this morning just to listen and sit there and rejoice in who you are in Christ. Right? Sit and rejoice and remember and think about the life that you have in Jesus. Rejoice over what God has done in your life and where He took you from and who you are now. And so, so here it is, church. Here's what we have learned already. You and I, all people, have sin in our lives. Right, We don't like to talk about that, but we have sin in our lives. And that sin, big or small, right, a mountain of a sin or a little white lie, each and every sin leaves us in a terrible position. And the Bible tells us that because of sin, we are separated eternally from God. It tells us that we are slaves to our sin. It tells us there is a price to be paid for our sin. God's word says that we are spiritually and eternally dead, headed for a place called hell, all because of sin. But God so loved you and so loved me and so loved the world that he sent Jesus to live the life that we could not live. He came and lived a perfect and holy life. And then he came also to die in our place and he took on our punishment. He carried our sin and he paid the cost that we owed. Why? Because he loves you, because he loves us. And Jesus hung and he died on that cross in our place. And just as he said he would on the third day, he rose again, defeating sin and death. And Jesus says, Jesus says, You don't have to earn your way. Jesus says that if you believe in me, if you turn to me and just confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. He doesn't say you have to get religious points or that you have to earn your way or there's something that you have to do to please God. He just says, turn to me, confess me as Lord, believe in me is what he's saying and you'll be saved. Here's what that means. When we deserve to be eternally separated from God, When we believe in Jesus because of what he done, because of what he did, and we call on him to save us, he will. He'll rescue us. But there's more, right? He gives us a new life. He doesn't just wipe us clean. Like, he gives us a brand new life and a new identity. If you surrender to Jesus, you're no longer off on your own. You're no longer lost. The Bible says that you are chosen. The Bible says that you are no longer orphaned without God, but you are adopted into the family of God, which means we now have him as our father, but we also have brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible tells us that when we trust in Christ, we receive an inheritance from God, right? Your price has been paid. You are secure in Christ and you have a forever home in heaven. But I think this is the best one. You are now with God, you are his and he is yours. And now as children of God, as his family, now that we are his, he has a life for us to live as individuals and together as the church. And so God, knowing that we cannot do that on our own, what does he do? He dwells within us and he gives us the power to live the life that he wants us to live. And so when we come to chapter 4 and verse 1, when Paul says, therefore, he's saying, because of all of that, because you are God's, because he loves you, because you are part of his family, live this way. And so keep that in mind as we read Ephesians chapter four, verse one through six. And so as you're there to honor God's word, maybe you want to stand, maybe you want to reflect and close your eyes and listen. Maybe you want to read along, but here's what God's word says. Ephesians chapter four, verse one through six. Paul writes this. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Would you join me as we pray? God, as we open up your word today, we pray God that you would be in charge. We pray God that we would come before you And just listen, that we would be humble and that we would hear what you would have for us. God, help our hearts be in that posture to hear from you. God, we know there may be people today online or maybe they're listening on a podcast. But God, we pray, Lord, today that people that are watching or listening, if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, God, we pray, Lord, that they would know how much you love them. We would pray, Lord, that they they would know that you came and died for them. And that you have a brand new life for them. You want that restored relationship between, between them and you. And so God, we pray, Lord, today somebody would respond, or many people would respond, and ask you to save them today. God, for us as, as your church, as believers, as followers of Christ, God, help us hear from you. Help us be attentive. And help us walk out of here more like you than, than, we, than we walked in. So, God, we we celebrate you. We want to make much of Jesus today. We want to glorify you with all we do. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that you're honored today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So in the first three chapters, here's what we see, right? We see that if you've turned to Jesus, that God saved us, He paid our price, He adopted us, He forgave us of our sins, He made us His own. He put all of us together as part of His church, right? He took us from all over the place, a lot of different backgrounds, and put us together as His church. And now Paul, throughout the next three chapters, he's going to teach us what our practical response to all of that should be. Right? How do we live now that we know all of these things? We actually saw our first response last week, Paul exampled for us, and that was to pray. We're not going to recap that. You can look at last week's sermon. If you'd like to go back and listen to that, I'd encourage you to do that. But, but the first response is really saying, God, I can't do this. And so I'm going to pray. So to live a Christ-centered life and to be who God has called us to be as Jesus followers, Paul exampled for us that we should first seek God and spend time with God in prayer. And now Paul is about to lay out for us how to live, right? I've heard it said, Paul's going to get up in our business a little bit, right? He's just going to say, hey, this is, this is how you should live. And there's going to be some big things that Paul is going to address in our lives, over the next 3 chapters he's going to address how our lives how we live personally he's going to address how we walk in love and how we walk in his wisdom guys he's guys and gals he's going to address our marriages and he's going to address our relationship between parents and the children right and between one another he's going to address how we should work and live in the workplace how should we how we should respond to those that are in authority over us and in chapter 6 That last chapter, he's going to address how we live and walk through spiritual warfare. And we look at those, and all those are very important things. But I want us to notice where Paul begins right after he prays in verse 1 of chapter 4. He begins by talking about the family of God. That's where he begins, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And Paul might address some things that, that you do really well with the Lord helping you, or maybe that you're wrestling with a little bit. But as we walk with the Lord, as we live it out, he's going to address How we do that as the church. He begins by talking about the church and how we live in the church and the unity that we are to have in his church. Guys, unity is a common teaching in God's word. Throughout the entire Bible, you see the importance of of unity amongst God's people. And when Jesus rescues you and me from our sin, right, he he unites us, reunites us with him and it restores that relationship. But God also unites us with one another in the family of God at his, as his church. We're his church, right? And Paul is about to talk to us about that. Sometimes, I think sometimes if we're honest, we might minimize the church or we might, we might minimize being part of the church. We might not see the value of it. But here's the reality, guys. Jesus places a very high value on his church. And so should we. Here's the reality. We cannot be healthy followers of Jesus outside of his church. It's our spiritual family. And so Paul begins by addressing that. He prays and then he addresses the church. And he lays out for us, really he lays out for us what it looks like to be healthy. And what it looks like to be a united church family. And so we're going to look at this passage together. We're going to walk through this verse by verse through uh, verses one through six. And we're going to begin in verse one. Paul says this. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. That word means to urge or beg you. I plead with you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called and so as followers of Jesus, Paul begins by urging you individually and us as a church and really begging us and imploring us to do something, to walk worthy. The word walk is important. It doesn't mean just to go on a walk. It essentially means to conduct one's life. It's how you, it's how you live your life. And so whenever he says walk worthy, He's saying to walk or live your life in light of what Jesus has done for you. Live your life knowing that you belong to him. When we look at our own life, that's really a good measure for us, isn't it? Does my life reflect that I belong to Jesus? Does my life show that I belong to his family? So Paul says, guys, I urge you to walk this way. Walk worthy, live it out, live lives that reflect his and show that you belong to him. And Paul begins by, as he does a lot of times, he's going to example that for us in his own personal life. Notice that he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. So we know if you've been listening to the sermon, Paul is in prison while writing this. He's in a prison in Rome, really, in house arrest in Rome. The Jews sent him there to be in in prison. But he doesn't call himself a prisoner to Rome or to the Jews. He was sent to prison, guys, for doing what God has called him to do. And he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. He calls himself a prisoner of, of Jesus. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, man, I have surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so whatever God calls me to do, or wherever the Lord leads me to go, Paul basically responds by saying, God, I will go wherever you send me, just go with me. I will do whatever you call me to do, just do it through me. So he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord, meaning that God's in control. Paul knows he can't do anything without the Lord, but he's showing us a life of surrender, church, to the calling that God has placed on his life. He's walking the walk. He's showing us what it looks like to walk worthy. Now here's the reality. God may not send you to a place that that will result in you being in prison like we see with Paul. He may, he may not. But the reality is this, because of what Jesus has done for you and for me and for all of us, we are called to sacrificially surrender and obey. That's the life, to surrender and obey. That's a common calling in all of our lives in the church, and it unites us. So how do we walk worthy as a church family? Based off of this example with Paul, when we look at all all six of these verses, we know that we want to walk worthy together. Walk worthy together. And as his church, we walk worthy together first. By seeing this example with Paul, by pursuing a Christ-centered life of surrender and sacrifice. Paul examples that for us well. We see that he has surrendered his life to Christ. He was willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus. And here's the reality. He also sacrifices for the church. When we think about the church and the family we have at Authentic Life Church, there is sacrifice for one another. There has to be Sacrifice in our families at home, there's daily sacrifice. I think about my wife, my wife constantly sacrifices so that our children are well loved and so that they can learn and grow and that they're taken care of. My wife and I both we sacrifice so that we can provide for and protect our family. Right? That's that's something that we often see in a healthy family, it's a good sign of that. Giving up of something for the better of the entire unit, the entire family. Paul displays this sacrifice. Remember, he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. Here's what he's doing. He's reminding these Christians what full surrender looks like. And that following Christ can be costly. It's well worth it, but it can be costly. He was in prison, guys, for being obedient for sharing the gospel, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was willing to give up his, 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 his earthly freedom so that the lost could know the truth about Jesus and his love for them, right? Thinking about the church, he sacrificed so that they could know there was a savior that is real, a savior that came and gave his life for them. He was willing to sacrifice so that he could help churches grow and help them become more like Christ. It was evident in his life that he was willing to surrender and sacrifice. Is that evidence in our life? Is there evidence of that in our life that we're willing to, to surrender and sacrifice? Are we willing to surrender to Christ and live a life of sacrifice for him and his body? Now, please know this. This cannot be done right on our own. It can only be done by the power of God at work within you. Right. So I'm not saying, Hey, go out and do this right now. I'm just saying spend time with God and ask him, God, I'm going to surrender to you and I'm going to go where you go. Just go with me. Right. But as a church, because all that Christ has done, because we are his to be a healthy and united church, guys, I just let's, like Paul says, I urge you, let's pursue that life of complete surrender to Jesus and sacrifice. Let's do that together. Second, we walk worthy together. When we pursue Christ-like conduct, as followers of Jesus, as his church, we are to walk like Jesus walked, right? We're to relate and have relationships with one another as Jesus did, right? He calls us church to follow him, to imitate him, to, to, to let his life flow through ours. That's how it works, right? And so we are to pursue Christ-like conduct in the church, knowing that we are his knowing that he's brought us into the family of God, how do we live that out? He tells us in verse two through three, here's our Christ-like conduct. Paul begins by saying this, walk worthy with all humility. So in the church, we pursue Christ-like conduct when we live out humility with one another. We could also call it being clothed in humility. So what is humility? Well, it's the opposite of being conceited and arrogant. The word humility, it means to have a humble opinion of one's self. For us as Christians, it's to have a deep awareness and a deep sense of where we were before Christ. Humility in itself should be a common denominator in our church family and every church family. Amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've been saved, if you've trusted Jesus for salvation, then you had to come to a moment where you realize that you were a sinner and you couldn't do anything about it on your own, right? You knew you needed Jesus to rescue you. That's a humbling place to be. It's a good place to be. In the church, we're a bunch of people that know that we are nothing without Jesus and that should help us walk in humility. Humility. But it also helps to see it exampled in Jesus because we want to have Christ-like conduct. We see that in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. We're not going to read all that right now. Go ahead and, and, and look that up. But it says this. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus. And then in that text, it shows us how Jesus humbled himself so that he could save you and me. He shows us, church, the greatest example of humility when he places others above himself. So we pursue Christ-like conduct together by living out humility. Then Paul says this, walk worthy together, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. Church, let's live out gentleness with one another. We are to relate to one another in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Men, don't worry. Notice it doesn't say be weak, right? Right? There's a difference in us being weak and us being gentle. The word gentleness, or your Bible may say meekness in our relationships, here's what it does it shows great control. You might want to respond one way, but whenever you respond in gentleness, you show great control. In fact, a Greek definition of gentleness is that it is the opposite of being out of control. There's a gentleness of spirit and self-control. That's what that is. That doesn't mean that we're weak pushovers, right? That doesn't mean that at all. We can still be bold. We can still be strong. The Bible tells us to be strong like men, right? But, But we can do so while being kind and not quarrelsome with one another. Have a gentle response toward each other. Reign it in, right? So as we walk together as a family, we live out gentleness. But then again, it's good to see Jesus do that. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 29, he tells us that he is gentle. So church, let's walk together as a family. Let's walk worthy together and live out gentleness with each other. Next, we walk together, the Bible says, with all humility and gentleness and then with Patience. Some translations might say long-suffering. To be stronger together as a body, to, to walk together, to do what God has called us to do as a church, to live out who we are, we must live out patience with each other. Being in a room when we're all gathered together, right, or having a family with as many people as we do, there is a need for us to have a long fuse, to have patience, There are not two people that are exactly alike. No one thinks exactly like you do. Some of you think the person that usually sits next to you at church is crazy, right? Some might think you're crazy. Some of you think I'm crazy. And so thank you for being patient with me, right? But we learn to work with each other and love each other. Our church is a, is a family. And I'm sure there are people maybe at authentic life or you've experienced this somewhere else, but that just people are difficult, right? I'm sure you have people in your family that can be difficult. I bet there's somebody in your family that thinks you're difficult. It's just how we are as, as people. but we're to be patient with one another. We're to be long-suffering with one another in the church, and to have a long fuse. I just think this is a really important one for us to have. We are to have patience. Really, as we put up with one another, right? As we do life together, as we live together as the church. When we look up the Greek word for patience, here's the definitions that we see underneath that. Here's what it means we see words like this long suffering, perseverance, steadfastness, and we also see this slowness in avenging wrongs. Let's be a church family. A body that is growing into who Christ has called us to be. Let's live it out. Let's be a body of believers that is long-suffering with one another. Let's be patient with one another. Too often in our culture, church, too often in our church families across the globe, right, we see people get upset with one another. That's going to happen, right? But sometimes our response isn't Christ-like conduct, right? Sometimes we begin to talk about that person behind their back. Sometimes we kind of disguise it and say, hey, will you pray for them? And then we gossip about it. That's just something that happens, right? Or maybe a person doesn't gossip, but when they get upset, it's just easy for them to leave. And they might say, well, you know what? I'm just not good with conflict or I'm not good at talking it out or I don't want to cause an issue. And so we people... We we see people or hear people say, see you later. Or maybe they don't even say that at all. And they just sneak out the back door and never come back. It happens in our families, right? In our biological families. It happens in church families. But church, that is not how Jesus has called us to live. It's not. He called us to work things out. He calls us to be kind and humble and to have long suffering and have a long fuse and to have patience. It's tough. It's tough. I think it makes it especially tough when, when that person that we're trying to have patience with, when we don't feel like they deserve it. And it might be true, maybe they don't deserve it. But here's how we can relate and we can see this in Christ. Look at what God has done with us. 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, The Lord is patient with you. The Lord is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish. We see his patience throughout scripture. We see his patience throughout our life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And although salvation is available, if we turn to Christ, God is patient with us. And so even when someone doesn't deserve it, like we don't deserve God's patience, we are to live out patience with each other. That's how we walk worthy. So verse 2 goes on to say, walk worthy. And then it says, showing tolerance for one another in love. Showing tolerance or bearing with one another in love. Your Your translation might say, this can be a tough one, right? This means to bear people's weaknesses or personal failings in love. You and I, we have all had moments of weakness. Right, Whether it's just a moment of weakness or it's a time of personal failings. And we are grateful that others loved us through that. And so for us, because Christ did it for us and others have done it for us, we too are to bear with one another in love. And not use a time of of weakness or a time of personal failing to stop loving them. This could be also a time church where maybe someone is ill, right? Or they're unable to serve or help in some certain way, and so we come alongside and we we bear with one another. Or maybe you're maybe there's a brother or sister right when when they when they have sin in their life or they fall short and they become weak in their flesh. Bible doesn't say leave him, he says that we are to bear with one another in love. Set aside our own personal passions and desires and give grace 1 Peter 4, 8 gives us this great truth. It says this, above all, notice this, he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. When we see that word to keep fervent, you know what it means? It means to be stretched to the limits. We walk worthy together as a church. We live out the life he's called us to live when we live with fervent, stretched out love for each other. When we live with fervent, stretched out love for each other. This love, this fervent, stretched out love is absolutely necessary in the church and it reflects Jesus. Right, We're wanting to follow him and, and grow and to be like him and to imitate him. Man, this life, this love, right? It, it, it reflects Jesus and he is the one that we're growing to be like. So the Bible says we're to walk worthy together. Just recap, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. And that leads us into verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We walk worthy together as Christ calls us to live when we all diligently keep unity. Diligently keeping unity together. Church, without humility and then gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, without all of those things, unity cannot be preserved. But notice, when we think about this unity We don't create the unity, but we are to keep it. The Bible says to to preserve it. God unites us, right? He brings us together, and with the Holy Spirit's help, we fight to keep it. The word diligent, it's important. It says, it means this, it means to make every effort. And it also carries the idea of having a sense of urgency. Right, we're to be diligent. We're to have a sense of urgency. We're to be after it. Don't let up. Do our utmost when it comes to protecting unity, church. Sometimes we carry this idea of you know what we tried, or I'm, I sent out a text, or I didn't get a response back, or I mean I, I reached out, I did my part. Paul is saying here, don't try. Don't just do a little bit. Be stretched. Give it your all because our walk with Christ together, our life together, is that important. So we fight for the unity of the church as we live out humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. God has united us. He has made us one. He has put us together. What is it that, you were, that we're united for? What is it that unifies us as one? Verse 4 through 6 tells us this. Here's how it describes it. Here's what we're united around. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We could spend a lot of time talking about this, but we're going to highlight how we're united. God is calling us as his church, collectively all believers, but also us at Authentic Life to walk worthy together. And here's what he's asking us to do. Be united as one body. Be united as one body. Notice he says this, there is one body. He's talking about the church. It's the body of Christ. It's those that have been saved. You were once orphaned and now you're adopted into the family of God. Diverse in background, diverse in our gifting, but we are united as one body. We're united as the body of Christ. So one body, and then he says one spirit, right? There's one body and one spirit. We share a common origin in the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates the unity and empowers us to maintain it. He empowers us to walk together. So we're one body because we've received the Holy Spirit when we trusted in Jesus. The Holy Spirit unites us as one. And then Paul talks about the one hope of your calling, right? There's one body, one spirit, just as you were all called in one hope of your calling. We have a common hope in Christ. You know, a lot of times when we think about hope, we think about, hey, I hope my team wins the World Series or the National Championship, or I hope I get this job. It's much bigger than any of that, and it's much more sure. We were once without any kind of hope, without eternal hope, until we were saved by Jesus. And if you have not been saved by Jesus, that's where you are. And Jesus says, hey, I came to bring you hope, right? In Christ, we have hope. And here's what that is. It's a supernatural hope. When we trust in Jesus, we become part of the family of God and we're promised our eternal inheritance and eternal life and our promise is that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't save you and unsave you. Our hope is the assurance that we are eternally His you can take that to the bank church when we are saved you are eternally his and so we are unified by that hope we all have that hope in Christ and then in verse 5 it says one lord one lord listen to what Romans 10:13 says for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved so we're united by one Lord We all proclaim Jesus as Lord. He is head. He is in charge. He has all authority. He is the one that we follow. He's the head of the church, right? And then the Bible says that we are united in one faith. This faith is the essential truths that we embrace. It means we're united in what we know and what we believe. It speaks of the truth that we read of here in God's word, right? The word of God. No adding or taking away truth, uh, no adding or taking away from the Bible, no other truth but this one. And then Paul writes one baptism. I believe this speaks of believers' baptism. We get baptized. Jesus tells us to get baptized after we're saved. So after salvation, once we know Christ, we are united in our public profession of faith. We are showing the world, we are showing the church, hey, I was saved by Jesus, I belong to Jesus. And we're showing that we are part of his family, we are part of the church when we're baptized. Then lastly, we look at verse six. One God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Church, there is one God, there's not many gods. There is one God who is over all. It's the creator God, the almighty, powerful God. And when we are adopted into his family, we get to call him Abba, Father. We get to call him Daddy. He's our Father in heaven. He is the God over all, and he is the Father for all his children. That's what we are united around. That's what brings us together. One God, one Lord. One spirit, right? One faith, one hope. And this is all for one body, the church. The Lord God, church, hear me out. The Lord God has placed us here in this time, in this place for his purpose. He has saved us. If he didn't want to use us, he would have taken us home when he saved us. But we are called to, to be used by God to walk worthy. And, and Paul is saying we've got to do it together. And the Bible is telling, it's telling us to do this. We must be united as one body. To walk together, we've got to be united. And I'm going to tell you, church, I think this is a message that we all need to hear right now during this time, this pandemic, this separation. Guys, there are many opportunities while we are physically separated for us to let that division to come in. Maybe we're getting comfortable and saying, hey, maybe I don't need one another. Maybe I don't need others. Maybe, maybe the, the, we lose the pursuit of unity, right? Or maybe we lose the love for one another. Church, let this passage encourage us. This is from the word of God. Let us encourage us and remind us just how important the local body is and the whole body of Christ. Let this passage encourage you. Let it teach you how to walk Worthy together. And guys, I just want to challenge us. Let us walk away from this. Let us walk away from this time together, right? Let us walk away ready to love and serve one another. Let us be ready to forgive and be patient with one another, right? Let us be united like never before. We want the world around us to look at us and say, I want what they have. We don't get to take credit for it, right? The the Lord God put all this together, but we get to fight to keep the unity together. This walk together, this unity will show the world that we belong to Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. Here's the reality, church. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. The Bible says that he's doing that, seeking whom he may devour. Let us see him for what he is. Let us see division for what it is. And let us pursue this walk together. Let's say, hey, we know who we are in Christ. We know what God did for us. And we're going to live that out. And we're going to live that out by seeking God in prayer. And as we learned today, we're going to live that out by being a church that is willing to surrender to whatever God asks us to do and sacrifice for him and for the church. Let us respond by saying, you know what, we're going to love each other. We're going to pursue a life that is Christ-like. Let us have Christ-like conduct in our life. And let us pursue that unity to be one body, no division. Let us walk worthy together. Why? Because we're better together. That's how God designed us. Let me pray for us, church.